Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Runners World podcast with me, Rick Pearson. And me, Ben Hobson. Today, we're speaking with record breaking ultra runner Sabrina Vergi about her new book, Where There's a Hill. It's sort of a play on words, isn't it, Rick? Where there's a will. Where there's a hill. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's good. Did you get it? Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Oh no, yeah. Good. 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 Um, not uh, not to a spoiler, but Spring is a brilliant guest, and uh, her incredible attitude to running in life is worth sticking around for. It's incredibly liberating approach to running. That's for someone who's so incredibly good at it and achieves greatness with it. Her approach is is that of someone who's fairly indifferent. <laughs> yeah, she's like just sort of a bit. It's a bit of a de-stressor for her in her life, and uh, just happens to be go around breaking um, sort of records at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, nice to have her on. Hey, look, some other good um, record-breaking running happened oh, this weekend. So nice segue. Ooh, actually, it's quite a lot in there. Um, Hard Rock One Hundred over in Colorado. Um, that was won by Killian Journey and Courtney Darwater, both setting new course records on the clockwise course. I mean, they do clockwise and anti-clockwise. Oh, I mean, fine. I mean, anti-clockwise yeah. is much yeah. harder. It's really, it's insanely difficult either way, I believe. But yeah, Killian. Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was just doing flippant. But yeah, what's, what's Killian's? 21.36.24 for Killian and 26.44.36 for Courtney. Um, yeah. Amazing racing. And then obviously there's been the world champs, Ben, as well. Been some been some running going to happen in the US. I mean, I don't know. People probably saw the UK Athletics sort of like um, published a statement for Chris Thompson and he wasn't allowed to race yeah. ahead of uh, Eugene world champs. And um, it was a visa application was delayed, which was very strange. And the government yeah. got involved and all sorts of sort of, you know, high powered people who couldn't get it to couldn't get it to work. But he commentated on the action instead, which, you know, I'm sure was bittersweet for him. Huge consolation for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But also, you know, great to have him doing that. Yeah. Um and it was uh, Ethiopia's uh, Tamarat Tola, won with, uh, with a new championship record of uh, 205.37. And he ran the thirty to forty K section in twenty eight twenty seven, Rick. Can you imagine? I can't. Can you imagine? You're sort of like almost oh, end of the, approaching end, last, 20 miles in. Uh, last 10k of a marathon, just 28-27. Um, but the women's late, uh, marathon is being held later today, today being Monday. This comes out on a Tuesday, so we can't, unless we can guess. No, there's no point. We don't know what happened. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is mad though, isn't it? Like 30k into a marathon, imagine like you're still with him and then he's like 28-27. I, I think the 10,000... Final was one in twenty seven thirty or something around then. So like, it's just it's just amazing. That's why he sort of just blew the field apart because it was like, right, who's going to live with me running a twenty eight twenty seven ten k? Just to have three quarters of the way through. Hey, the guy should be doing the ten thousand meters. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, that that kind of injection of speed that you that you're able if to you do. Can warm is, up um, for thirty k. 
yeah <laughs> and then bang out that time I mean, look, maybe it was it was all about running a, a negative split as we've talked about oh, in the show last week uh, let's not get let's into not it, into it. That, wasn't into a, it. A, that wasn't a, a managed fade or whatever it was called <laughs> um uh, Ailish McColgan blamed injury in the 10,000 metres after she suffered World Athletics Champion disappointment um the 31 year old expected to have an outside shot of a medal having run the second quickest 10,000 metres this year she finished 10th which yeah you know. Shame that, isn't it? Because he's been running so well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she's, injury, she's London, injuries are so. injuries. There's not much you can do about that. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Completely. So, completely. Unlucky to her. And then, yeah, another disappointment, I guess, from a British perspective was Dean Rash-Smith finishing fourth in the 100. That was a clean sweep by the Jamaicans. Uh, and Shelly Ann Fraser, who's 35 now, still winning 100 metres. Um, and she ran something like 10.64, I think. And Dean is 10.83. is actually equals her national records but not good enough for a medal. So that's the, that's the sort of era we're living in, yeah. And that was Shelley Ann Fraser's prize, fifth world champs gold. Wow. Right? It's mad, isn't it? Whoosh. I think it's, I think it's just incredibly consistent over the 100 metres because you say the marathon, say like we, we sort of are in raptures about Kipchoge's consistency and he's kind of only lost, I think, two um, big competitive marathons out of 14 or something. But with yeah. the marathon, it's like, of course, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong in the training, but once you get to the start line... You know, there's 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 time, isn't there, for the best person to emerge? With 100 meters, it's like you get anything like very minor goes wrong in 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 that race, you don't win because there's just not enough, there's no time to recover. But she's so to win five world champs is just just remarkable, amazing. Um, other things that are remarkable are we got a letter in and it was someone agreeing with me, so I thought I'd bring it out. Um, so this <laughs> oh, was that's no. why it's made. Oh, hold on. <laughs> so that's why it's made it in. Someone's agreed with you, and you've just someone agreed. Someone agreed with me. So whenever anyone agrees with me, I read it out. Um, and that's that's true in life <laughs> and away and away from the podcast as well. Just read it out, just around the desk. Um, but yeah, this was the last point about where we were talking about things aren't necessarily more difficult because they're longer. That was the general theme. Um, right. But, yeah. But this, this is from Christopher, um, I'm going to say it's either Wagner or Wagner. Um, so sorry, Chris, if I pronounce your name wrong there. Um, he's a runner in Tampa, Florida, uh, US, and enjoys the podcast. And he says, I agree with Rick on the last point. I've been trying to PR my 5K for 15 years now, and I haven't come within 60 seconds of the time I set back then. Meanwhile, I've PR'd the marathon every time I've run it three times, and I believe it would be much easier to PR my next 50K than cracking my best 5K time. So I guess, yeah, someone who's, who's kind of saying yes the, the really intense short stuff can be very difficult particularly if you if you set a, a decent p, like pb we would call it here um a few years ago to get close to it again is going to take a lot of doing but there you go yeah 15 years so mate so i don't know how old uh christopher is but let's say he was 20 yeah when he set his 5k pb as a 35 year old is he going to be able to find that that youthful speed again it's hard to say isn't it yeah, yes yeah. he probably is but you know I mean but... it depends how good you were when you were 20 doesn't it it's, it's one of those yeah true if he was like some sort of it doesn't say here but you know he maybe he raced in college or something and he was actually incredibly yeah, fast yeah and that's tricky isn't it if you, if you just like literally like not run out of the park when you're when you're 20 getting back there whereas you, you, you and I were sort of at uni probably we'd probably quicker now he's a, he's a 16 minute he's a 15 minute yeah. like yeah. 5k yeah. or something yeah 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 Come on, Christopher, we need more details. Please message back. Let us know what the, your actual times are because I don't want anyone to actually agree with Rick. So if I can if I can knock this down in any way, I'll absolutely do it. Um, there was some more talk about... So last week we did we did these running myths and one thing that you and I were talking about, Jane was possibly not in agreement with this, but we talked about the control fade and how the positive split strategy is probably best 
for the amateur yeah, yeah. like where your first half is is fractionally quicker than the second um and yeah, yes a guy called simon coombs a really good uh, masters runner got in touch and was he said that he he thought there was some a stat from uh london marathon a couple of years ago i believe uh where only 3% of people who'd gone under three hours had run a negative split. So that's how common a positive split is in, in math. I, I don't know if the same is true or four hours, five hours, six hours, seven hours, but I'd imagine it possibly is. And uh, Great stat. Good stat, isn't it? Yeah, and it shows you that actually, like, you know, when, when it, I think in the real world, the, the, the positive split done um, responsibly and in a managed way is, is the way to, to set most of your hey, PDs. Hey kids, remember yeah. <laughs> positive split responsibly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. None, none of this like, you know, it's not about just going out, you know, in, 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 at an insane speed. We're talking about like, you know, managed decline, Ben. Yep. That's what we're looking at. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's all we need in life, Rick, is, uh, is, is, the, is managing the decline. <laughs> Right. Um, well, I think we should get um, Sabrina on to talk about her new book. Yes, so do I. Let's do it. Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone. Could be an athlete. Could be a physio. Or a complete unknown. Our guest this week is a record-breaking ultra runner whose new book, Where There's a Hill, details her attempt to set a new standard for the Wainwrights which involves summiting 214 fells in the Lake District. Sabrina Virgie, welcome back to the Runners World podcast. So I think it's quite surprising that someone who's obviously gone on to achieve such brilliant things in, in running, you weren't actually a particularly sporty kid. Is that, that, that's fair to say, isn't it? It wasn't something that you were, you'd been great at your whole life. Absolutely, I would say I was absolutely the worst in my year, <laughs> 100%. I was that kid who just couldn't do anything at all. My parents... I remember my parents telling me on, on sports day, they just said, please, could you just not come last in something? Anything, doesn't matter. <laughs> so I was like third last in the egg and spoon race and, and they were like, yeah, well done. <laughs> not was not it. last. Not last. Not there last. Mm. Wow. So when did, it, when did it suddenly become a thing for you then? Um, it gradually seeped into my life, shall we say. Um, mm. So my primary school years were all about, oh no, yeah, you're just terrible at sport, even though I was quite keen to do it. Yeah. And then mm. another, yeah, up until A-levels, I would say, did I really have a chance to do anything. So I, I moved to another school for A-levels and, and they were very encouraging um, for me to do whatever I wanted. So I just overindulged. So any sport that I could do, I did do. Um, team sport. Individual. And I wasn't good. You know, I hadn't developed the hand-eye coordination that I should have. Mm. Um, so just found my way then. And then it just developed through university um, and I guess I like running. You don't need that many skills for running, actually, you know, compared yeah, okay. to ball sports. Yeah, you know, yeah. So I think I could develop that area. And it was more about persistence, actually. I just keep running, keep running, keep running. doesn't matter if you're terrible at it. No one's criticizing you. You're on your own. You're not bothering anybody <laughs> yeah. by your ineptitude, <laughs> I think is probably what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, There's no and teammates then, and to, to, to be disappointed, the fact that yeah. you have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then with the ultra running, um, I got I got into that from adventure racing. So I did adventure racing for about 10 years all over the world. Um, and that, I guess, because it was such a niche sport and maybe they were quite desperate for women um, because you have to compete as a mixed team to be competitive. So generally yep. it's three guys and one girl. Mm -hmm. And because I'm just very like, yeah, I'll just do anything with anyone. 
if someone wants yeah. me on their team, I'm there. So yeah. it was very inclusive, got involved in that. And um, I started out, I was quite a strong cyclist, actually. I've got huge legs. <laughs> so I was, I was quite strong on the bike. Um, but then on the running, I was quite weak, actually. And I had never run off road until I did adventure racing. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I really liked the things that you could see and do and the independence it gave me. Um, so I started to concentrate on trying to get better as well because I, was, I felt like I was letting the team down because I was so slow. Yeah. Um, I'd even get towed around um, on a rope just to keep up with the guys. Um, so I was like, well, this, this isn't good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm letting the side down. So I, I trained a lot more in the running for that. And then um, I, yeah, I started to find with the endurance as well um, that I liked that. And I wondered if, if and I started to get stronger on the running then, mm. then I was actually um, not the slowest. Um, and I wondered about doing it on my own. Um, and I quite liked um, when Steve did the Wainwrights, that's when um, I thought about doing that challenge. And I thought it was very much of a sort of adventure racing kind of challenge yeah, because right. of the sleep deprivation, have to manage yourself, um, yeah, it's eating and drinking on the move um, and making sure your feet don't get blisters and all these things that you need to do in adventure racing was quite transferable to that yeah. challenge. And that's where it started, really, my ultra running. It's an amazing journey, isn't it, Like to go from third last in egg and spoon to world record or record-breaking ultra runner. Was it difficult, though, to like... Because I imagine you would internalise some of that stuff as a kid and think like, oh, I'm not good at sport or I'm not an athlete because teachers have told me I'm no good at this or I didn't win at sports day. Did it take you a while to actually take yourself seriously as, a, as an athlete, do you think? I, think still, I still don't think I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm doing something. <laughs> it pans out okay. I think that's how I live my life is just to give it a shot and if it works, you know, and I guess the lack of expectation, I think, is is something as well i think a mm. lot of people are afraid to fail right and mm. i've never had that because there's been no expectation that i would succeed there's um I, I might as well just keep trying and if i just humiliate myself and fail and fail again mm. um i was used to that and so um it's just uh, a kind of unusual thing for me to succeed and do well in something um but i'm certainly not afraid to try um, yeah. and I think that's really it. I even, even now, actually, sometimes I say to Ben, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And he'll be like, you can't do that. And I'll be like, right. Well, I will, or I might, but yeah. I'm, I'm at least going to try and do that. And yeah. Um, with the, yeah. the fact that you've, you've, you've achieved so much with it now, do you find that there's more pressure? Cause if you come into it, as you say, sort of feeling, there's no expectation from your side but you've got everyone else giving like putting on expectation onto you is that something that you've noticed more and more or is that just really just not in your sphere of thinking yeah no you're right I remember the first time I guess I felt some kind of expectation on me was when I came to do the winter spine in mm. 2020 because I'd actually won the summer spine outright there was suddenly this expectation that I was going to win the winter spine outright. And, and you know, I, I'd been used to just turning up to these things rather anonymously and just mm. doing my own little thing. And I, I don't worry about anything and off I go and, and whatever happens, happens. And, and there's no pressure on myself 
to perform. But then suddenly there were all these people I was being interviewed and, you know, uh, they were saying, oh, yeah, so asking me about, you know, women and men. And of course, you know, now I've shown that women are faster than men. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> this is a complete fallacy. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, oh, dear, what, hap- what has happened to the world? Right. Uh, and that felt a little uncomfortable, but I was... I, I, I still sort of said to myself, well, this is, I can only do what I can do. So never mind what they're expecting. They're going to be disappointed. That's, that's unfortunate. I don't like disappointing people, but it's not, it's not like I can change it. Um, so I try not to feel pressure from, from anyone else. And I think that's probably one reason why adventure racing, um, when you're racing in a team, there is actually a bit of pressure on you. Uh, mm. or you put pre- I put pressure on myself because I don't want to let the team down. And that, I think, was probably also one of the motivators to, to be running on my own, not, not to have these kind of pressures at all. Um, mm. It was particularly, I didn't mind all the endurance things. I knew I was always capable, um, but I don't really like, and this seems, I don't know why this shocks people, but I don't really like jumping from height into water. So okay. a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll go yeah. to the top of, I don't know, top of something, jump into you know, water and, and maybe a meet might be our manager meter and that's about my comfort zone. Okay. It's not very high, yeah. probably yeah. even less than that. Okay. Um, but we would sometimes need to do 20 meters or something like that. A long distance, I don't know how far, but just too far for me. And, and yeah. that would, um, that, that would, ups- that would ruin my whole enjoyment of the race because I'd panic at some point there was going to be a massive cliff jump into water. Um, and I wouldn't be able to do it and I was going to let the team down. Um, and I'd always find another way around, but it'd probably take a bit longer. Um, yep. And, and I, I, that was the pressure I put on myself. And I didn't enjoy that. Um, but for the for the running, I don't put any pressure on myself um, at all. Yeah, so liberating thing. That's, I think that's, that's a real lesson there for people. Um, with the Wainwrights then, you said it was when what, when Steve Berkshaw, he when he did his round, that's when, that's when the idea of running 214 of these fells in Lake District came into your mind. Um, did it start off as just like a little, was it like, just oh, well, maybe I'll have a go at that one, one day. Or was it like an obsession from the start? So, so this is 2014 and Steve Birkinshaw has basically sent me a Facebook message saying, oh, um, can, you know, I'm doing this in my challenge and, and may I stay at your bunkhouse because it's en route. And I'm like, right. yeah, yeah, Steve, of course you can stay at the bunkhouse. And then I'm like, what's this thing? Um, I didn't even know what a Rain- Wainwright was. So, mm, right. you know, that was the whole education itself. And then I was kind of really excited when I started to see what Steve wanted. Oh, he's going to run for like seven days. That's awesome. Amazing. Well, that looks hard, but yeah, it looks really cool. A bit like adventure racing. I was thinking, oh, yeah, he's going to have to like, in order to beat the time he wants to do I was thinking to myself yes he's not going to sleep very much he's going to you know there won't be any faffing after he changes socks once or something you know all these things were going through my head and I was really excited about it and I was actually really gutted because I wasn't there to help because I had to work away in Surrey for that whole week so I was there in Surrey madly dot watching jealous as hell (laughs) (laughs) that I couldn't even you know wave Steve on or carry something for him but my husband got to Um, and then just watching that I was like when he'd done it, I was like, okay, I'm going to try that. It wasn't, I might. It was like, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to see. You know, I knew, I, I, and in my head, I was like, I'm going to be able to finish that. That's not the question. It's mm, a question yeah. of how quickly am I going to be able to do that? Right. Um, and he did six days and 14 hours or something like that. I thought, well, 
that's not that far off six days. I was like, six days is a really good thing. And I I didn't know if that was possible. Hmm. But I just looked at what he'd done. I thought, well, he's had about 40 hours of not running. I thought, well, I can probably whittle that down to maybe something like 10 hours. That gives me 30 hours extra Mm. to go Mm. slower (laughs) and and get around more of it. And really, that that was all it was. And I thought, this is a good challenge for me. This is really exciting. And I was just obsessed. Yeah, that's it. And then, so that was 2014. And I thought to myself, well, how long is it going to take me to learn how to run long distances and be like an ultra runner and do all this stuff? And I thought, okay, well, it's maybe a few years. And I thought, well, 2020 is a good round year. 2020 let's do it something big in 2020 that's when i'm going to do the wainwrights and that mm. and then that was it um so then the plan so good so the cool, first yeah. few years were just about doing some ultra races so i did um what did i start with the grand tour of skidder just because it was conveniently in the lake district 44 miles i thought that's a good distance to start with yeah yep. um really enjoyed it um and then i heard about these utmb points so just being me, I was like, well, what else do I need to enter to get a U- more UTMB points? Um, so I did another race. I think it was one of the Endurance Life series. And then it was like, oh, I only need one more race. Oh, it's got to be a 100-mile race. Um, oh, okay. I'll, yeah. I'll just see what I can do. I've got two months left to do one. It's winter, December. Oh, it's going to have to be Poland. Um, <laughs> okay, that's fine. I've never been to Poland and... Um, 100 miles I haven't run either but that's fine that's the race I need to do so yeah. if I went right. <laughs> you yeah. get your pattern here yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah <laughs> and I got my UTMB points and I got an elite start so I was like okay um, so I did that it sounds so matter of fact when you put it like that, but it's such a huge amount of work. But it's just like, oh, well, I better go to Poland then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I often drag people into it in, in my mad my mad ideas because um, there wasn't there's not much time to plan to do it. Uh, one of my best friends um, who, who'd been at school with me, um, I just said to her, oh, I'm going to go to Poland for the weekend. Do you want to come? <laughs> She's like, yeah, that oh, sounds yeah. good. I don't think I want to run 100 miles, they said. So I'm like, no, fair enough. I think she did the shorter, the shorter race. I can't remember, 30, 40 k, something like that. Still decent. Um, and so she Brilliant. came and did that. So we had a great weekend. And so what was the, what was the your training like before the Wainwrights? What was how did you sort of prepare? Like, did you look at what Steve had done? Did you look at what other people were doing, or did you just sort of like use the adventure racing sort of knowledge that you had and, and what you knew worked for you, and just sort of build up to it? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. So, so as I say, for the first four years, I was just learning how to do ultra running, mm. which is going quite well. And then sort of as it got nearer the time, I was like, okay, now I really need to do something more specific to get this goal. Um, so that was all about looking at the route and making the route efficient. Um, so I did reccees. So rather than a training per se, I'd be like, right, I've got today off. So which part of the route am I going to go investigate? And then, okay, which direct, you know, how am I going to go about these particular summits? Um, what did Steve do? Is that the best way around? Mm. Um, okay, his route was really good. I'll do it exactly like that. Or actually I'm going to try something different let's try this. Mm. Is it quicker? Is it not? And then I, I played around with the whole thing over two years, just trying this, that, and the other. And that, as it turns out, was really good training because <laughs> yeah. I never do training as such because my running is kind of something I use just to switch off yeah. from uh, work and stresses. So I don't want to have pressure to run fast or in a specific way, particularly. I just want to go and have a bit of fun in the hills, really. Mm. Um, mm. So the reccees were really, really good for that. Um, and it was really interesting because after I'd done the Wainwrights, um, Rupert from Mountain Fuel, he he asked me, it was just really odd, he just sent me a message on Facebook, I think he wanted to write a post about something. And he said, well, in the weeks leading up to the Wainwrights, now what, what were you doing? What was your training? How far did you go? What elevation did you cover? And I said, Oh, I didn't, I don't, I thought stuff I don't know. And then I thought, well, I've got Strava. I can actually, mm. I can actually look back and tell you exactly what I'd done. And it was yeah. really interesting because it was, I was doing about a hundred kilometers a week with about 6,000 meters um, of elevation. I think it was, I probably, no, I think I was doing up to, sorry, 200 kilometers and double. That's right. It was a hundred for every 6,000 meters of elevation, it was about 100 kilometers of distance. That's what right. it was. Okay. But yeah, yeah. and it, so it, it start, started about that and probably got towards 200 kilometers. That's right. Right. But yeah, it takes, um, it just takes longer to do rough, you know, rough ground. Yeah, right. um, yeah. So you, yeah, you can't get the same kind of distances in. And I think that's a mistake of a lot of ultra runners do that are going to do mountainous stuff. They do too much flat running. Um, mm. And it's fine because you get more bang for your buck. Because if you're running on the flat, you can run hard all the time. Whereas if you're going up in the mountains, you work hard on the way up and not so much on the way down. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah. I remember when we talked to you last time. I think I think you just, you just done really well at the Dragon's Back race. I think. Okay. I think it was Dragon's Back. I suppose. And we talked about like similar stuff, similar to what you're saying now that you don't really train. Like it's not like you go and do intervals on a Tuesday. Um, but that you that you thought maybe your your great skill was that you just don't give up. Like I think you gave quite a funny example of like uh, you started painting the house one day, and yeah. like when your husband came back, you were still painting the house. Like you don't give like once you start something, you don't stop something. Yeah. And I thought that's really good because I'd imagine those characteristics are actually really useful for like something like the Wainwrights. Do you think that is actually one of your strengths? Like you're just like just willful on stuff, and you just don't don't give. Yeah, in? probably one is it's persistence and yeah, willfulness, like you say. But the other is probably just distraction, maybe. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> right. you know, I use the running. It's almost like meditative. Um, yeah. So the actual example you're talking about, it was the wallpaper stripping. So it's like once I learned yeah. how to do it and I had a technique, that was it. And it I just kept going. I, I, I didn't even, you know, I hadn't looked at the watch, you know, um, I hadn't mm. even... I, I just kept going until everything was stripped. And I'm often like that, you know, give me a target or give me a, a chore and that's it. And I'll do it from start to finish. And if I can't, that's actually quite frustrating. So did the um, the running as a distraction, did that sort of the coincide with the university stuff? Because I remember diligently doing runs every single morning, certainly in final year and building up to exams. Like it became such a like part of the routine of just knowing that there was going to be a, a long day of staring at books and not really understanding what was going on. So I <laughs> so I had to go for a run in the morning. Is that sort of part and parcel where that it came from and that attitude towards it as just being the distraction? I, I was absolutely mental at university. I don't think I had any <laughs> idea of planning or discipline or anything like that. Just what happened, happened. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, I think I decided that I was going to do running in the morning. Um sometimes um yeah I could not sleep at all at night because I, I would work till three in the morning writing my essays and then you I'd probably go out and have drinks and then at some <laughs> point you know you'd be in your bed at six or something but then you'd be getting ready to go running and then you'd go through lectures and each day tumbled into the next with <laughs> was probably very good sleep deprivation training um <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah, I think that sounds like it. It's just, that, 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 I can relate to that. It, was, yeah. it wasn't a structured yeah. thing. It sounded very much like the, the, the last minute cramming of work, celebrated immediately, and then you get up and try and do some <laughs> exercise. That was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now, now I, I work and slightly more responsible and disciplined. Um, yeah. I do use my running as a distraction. Definitely, it, it's it's the it, it's my meditation. It's my stress reliever. It's my freedom. Uh, my time you know and mm. and so I don't have any rules about what I should be doing or how fast I should be going and so I just put my shoes on and off I go and I find that very liberating with, with the with the Wainwright stuff it wasn't it wasn't like something that I mean I, I don't want I don't want to do anything like spoiler alerts to people but it, it took a while didn't it to get to get what you wanted out of it was there any point where you, where you thought like this is actually beyond what I can do or I want to go and concentrate on on something else now this is where I say I, I got obsessed with it because I don't know how many people would try to do something and fail and try again and fail and, and keep going like that. Um, but each time I failed, I went back and was like, well, why did, why did it fail? Did it, was it something I did wrong? Was it something out of my control? What's happened? Right, we'll, we'll try and put measures in so that doesn't happen again. And that's, that was kind of like a reiterative process. But yeah, you can still get to the point, you could probably get to a point of fatigue where you're just fed up of not being able to do a certain thing or you give up. Sure. Um, there was no point in my head where I decided that I was going to give up on it. Um, but I was worried that other people would give up on me. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the main thing because you have a support team and it's a lot yeah, of planning, yeah. um, you know, and in an ideal world, you have one or two people come with you on each leg um, to help carry carry the stuff because that makes a massive difference whether you're carrying a backpack full of water and food or, or whether you yeah. can run without that. Yeah, um, right. So 
um, I wanted to, so in order to do the most, the best time I could do, I wanted a team like that. So it was a huge amount of planning on my part to form a spreadsheet so that I had someone every place and some road support so that those runners could get picked up and, and um, you know, Ben could be there with our camper van, ideally so I could sleep in it. And we didn't have the camper van for mm. um, the first and second attempts and it made a huge difference there. Um, so, yeah, um, I was most worried about people not wanting to to help because they were like well yeah she's just not going to get round um but I was really encouraged by all my friends who yeah. knew I could do it and so wanted to be there and very much wanted to be involved um and also some other new people who just seen me do it the other times and thought oh no that's so unfortunate that you, you didn't get it that time they want to come and help so yeah yeah running's good like that isn't it it's a good supportive community I think yeah yeah and I mean, you've now got a book. I know. How did that happen? Uh, how did that happen? <laughs> how did that happen? I know. A bit like, bit like my running, really. Um, I've actually always wanted to write a book. That is definitely true. And I think it's one thing probably... My mum might have quite encouraged me down that route as well. Because when I, when I was younger, I used to write little stories um, mm. as a child, little children's stories. And um, I think the teachers quite enjoyed reading them and my mum quite enjoyed reading it, them. Um, my mum, in fact, once found uh, my diary um, oh. of my tales of travels to Mongolia and other places. And um, she read it cover to cover um, because she thought it was meant for her. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, sure. she found it extremely entertaining. She said the way I wrote, she, she found it very easy to read. In fact, she couldn't put it down. So right. um, I think from then, and I, I just quite like writing. I've always liked yeah. writing. Um, and, and just from being a vet, uh, I've never, you know, I just hadn't gone down that route of busy being a vet. So it was yeah, a yeah. really, it was really pleasurable to be approached by a few publishers to ask me to write about the Wainwrights. And I thought, that's mm. really cool. I'll mm. do that. Um, and I thought it, I needed that support, I think, to um, write something from start to finish. Because I have actually started writing books, um, veterinary ones, just anecdotes of funny things that happen as a vet, because it's just, it's just too funny. Yeah, Your day-to-day yeah. experience. I could, <laughs> I could go on forever oh, about great. veterinary stories. And one day I might write a veterinary book. Um, but so having someone who wanted to read about my uh, Wainwrights, my running, about me, stuff like that, I thought, right, someone wants this. I'm going to write it. And just like everything, you know, I, uh, I just got on with it and just did it and you know um my creative moments my writing time tends to be between midnight and 3am roughly so just like university yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and that's when i can focus really well and intensely and get a lot of content out and so that stuff was the stuff that came out of flowed quite well Mm. and then you know, you get a whole bunch of this. So I do this, you know, various nights when I felt like it, should we say. I never forced myself, a bit like my running. I never forced myself to write it. It was just like when something was ready to come out, it got put on the page. Mm. Um, and I had a collection of all this stuff. Uh, and you, you kind of want to organise it. And then I was like, There's, there were missing bits, missing bits that needed to tie things together. And those are the bits. I'd try and sit down in the daytime when I was actually thinking a bit more um, strategically and, and write down um, in a sort of more appropriate manner, or should I say, organised manner. And, and yeah. I know I'd be like, but those are really boring. I was like, no one wants that. And so they'd just get scrapped. And <laughs> so I had quite a few drafts. So I did the first draft quite quickly, probably a couple of months. 
um, right. and then did a second draft, third draft, fourth draft, and then finally I found I had something that I thought was good and ready, mm. um, and uh, I passed that on to the publishers, and then they gave me some feedback, and then we did a bit more more work, and it's just really interesting process actually. This book writing thing, uh, you mm. know, I had no idea the time frame or what was involved, and then I thought we were all done and dusted. You know, here we go, here's the book, brilliant. Yeah. You've read it, mm. you've read it, you've read it. Oh no, now it's going to go to a proper editor. I'm like, oh. Okay. Oh. And then, yeah. And then that restructured it a little bit more into chapters, actually. You know, people like chapters. I couldn't, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't yeah. put it into chapters because, right. you know, it's far too boring, isn't it? But no, oh, yeah. the chapters <laughs> actually, um, yeah, really work. So, you know, an editor's got a skill there. Um, and I worked with Ed Douglas and, and, you know, I was so impressed with what he could do. Really, mm. it was, it, it was really insightful, this whole thing. I've really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, the way you can run from one thing, um, it, you know, leave it on a cliffhanger and then boom, boom, what's happening in the yeah. next chapter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it's really fun experience, I have to say. Did you find it um, kind of interesting to relive the whole experience in that way of writing it down? Because you can put, you know, in, in the, the different attempts, you probably thought about how you'd done the previous one before or you'd sort of like made notes at the time or something, but to actually sort of go through and write it all down as if a you know it was going to become a book did it sort of like un- unpick a lot of it for you yeah and i'd remember things that i'd forgotten about mm. um and actually I'd, i i think it'll be really interesting when other people when the, my support team read it and there'll be bits that i've completely not put in <laughs> or I remembered it differently. Yeah, I remembered it really differently <laughs> yeah, because yeah. obviously you've got to remember I'm pretty sleep deprived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and Ben's read it obviously, and, and he's just like, "Yeah, Sabs, that's not true." <laughs> <laughs> that was hallucination. Yeah, 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 yeah. unreliable yeah. recollections from an ultra Yeah, yeah. so um, I've done my best because I want it to, to be as uh, as you know as as it happened and I used some yeah. things actually it's interesting because a lot of um, communication now we do you know using messenger on Facebook mm. so actually I had a lot of the conversations from before the event you know all the stuff around organizing it and that's been yeah. really helpful because it would a rejig my mind but also make sure that when I was quoting somebody I was actually quoting somebody right. so that was yeah. really good because I didn't want to ever put something in there you know this person said this when they actually didn't um, yeah. so that's all that's all been really good so to anyone else who was, who was thinking about taking on a challenge, it doesn't have to be the Wainwrights. It could be, it could be anything that seems daunting. What would your advice be? Um, I guess you've got to have a vision um, of how you want to achieve something. Um, yeah. I think it's really important when you're setting your goals that they should be appropriate to yourself. Um, mm. So I don't try to set my goal, uh, myself a goal that's completely impossible for me to yeah. ever achieve mm. because that would just be really frustrating. But equally, you don't want a goal that is so easily achievable because um, what's the point? I mean, how, that's not very yeah. satisfying. Yeah. Um, so goal setting is really the first stage, I think, when you set yourself a challenge is make sure that it's, it's an appropriate thing for you to achieve. Um, yeah. So it should have an element of failure. Like, if you don't think yeah, right. it's possible for you to fail, what's the point? You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to challenge yourself. There must be this element of failure. Once you've set yourself the correct target, then you need to figure out how you're going to set about achieving it. Um, I guess break it up into um, 
the elements of, of what it is. For me, the Wainwrights was, okay, well, it's really important to get the route right because if I'm mm. going further than I need to, then, you know, that's already a setback. Yeah. So I wanted to investigate the route. Um, obviously, I needed to be physically fit. Um, how fit? Well, you can always be fitter, can't you? But no. there's no point being sprint fit. Um, this was going to be a long thing. So actually, a lot of walking probably quite useful yeah. hill walking and you do hills there's no point again training on the flat if you're just going to have a hilly challenge yeah. um and then all the other elements around it so you know how was i going to eat what was i going to wear what equipment did i need what about head torches um what was i going to drink how often was i going to need these things and all these things you learn from the process of the reckeys really so i could tell how long the section would take <clears throat> roughly what i was going to eat how much i needed to drink you know and going out in all sorts of weathers to get used to you know what clothes work and uh you know how long does my head torch battery last how many torch you know how many batteries am i going to need um all that sort of thing so you need to practice a lot um you know if you're preparing for say lakeland 50 or something you know you're going to go and recce the route um and then um, you know, you, you know, running at night, so you need to have um, a head torch that works for you, that you can see what you're doing, um, and that's going to last the correct amount of time. So equipment's really important, and learning mm. how to use it. No point having a head torch that's going to need a battery yeah. changed, and you can't do it in the dark. Yeah, sleep deprived. <laughs> yeah, been there. Yeah. Uh, how can people get hold of uh, where there's a hill? Your book. So, um, Vertebrate Publishing. It's on their page. When is it? Is it when is it? Is it pre-release? Is it? Is, so it's, it's, it's ready for pre-order now. Right. And then September is when it will actually be published. Which I'm a bit impatient. I think that's a long time to wait. But yeah. Hey, it's well, nothing to do about it. People can do some running in the meantime, Indeed. can't they? In preparation. Thanks so much for, for your time and coming on the Runners of Podcast. It's, it's so inspiring talking with you, actually. It makes me think, oh, I need to start setting myself a few more lofty goals because uh, you make it all sound so achievable, actually, which is uh, which maybe it is. Maybe it's more achievable than, than people think, actually. So I think that's a, it's a really nice message and very liberating. Yeah, definitely. I think people should, should be reaching for things um, that they don't think they can do and they can surprise themselves. Um, and, and, you know, if you, if you try something and fail... You know, why did why didn't that work? What do you need to do to make it work? It's a very rewarding process, and I think um, builds character and um, helps you in everyday life. I would say. Thanks again for your time. Thanks for coming on. It'd be great to get you back on at some point, and congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. Thanks very much to our guest, Sabrina Vergi, and to you, of course, for listening. You can subscribe to three issues of Runners World for just £5. Head over to hearstmagazines.co.uk slash Podcast to get this exclusive listener offer. You are already listening to the Runners World podcast, so thank you so much indeed. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. That means you're just, you just won't miss a single atom of fantastic podcasting that we deliver uh you can tell your friends all about it share a link on instagram maybe just do it that way that's a good way to do it just search runners world uk on your favorite podcast apps whichever way you want to do it just just get the message out there this is the place to be for this sort of level of running chat uh thanks again for listening and you'll hear from us next week bye ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.